First Corinthians chapter 11 tonight. First Corinthians chapter 11. Hope you've had a good week this week so far. Enjoyed thawing out and drying out and so thankful for the moisture. It's been a blessing. Boy, it's been a blessing. So pray that that just keeps coming our way all through the spring and we'll be in good shape as far as the rain. Most of us will still be in bad shape, but anyways. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, we are thankful for this place that we can come to. Lord, I'm thankful for the music that we were able to sing uh, this evening. Lord, just to think about that sweet by and by uh, that one day we'll enjoy. Lord, that's a, it's a wonderful truth. I pray that you'd uh, help us now tonight uh, just to give attention to your word. Lord, that you'd remind us of what we know and that we would remember it in the days ahead when we may need it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, most of you will remember that we looked in verses 7 through 11, and we watched as Paul explained what should be fairly simple and basic truths uh, to the believers there in Corinth as it related to the relationship between men and women. And though it was needed in their day, it is still needed in our day. And basically what we got down to was this, is that the scripture teaches that though there is a structure of authority in a home, there also needs to be mutual respect between the husband and the wife, the man and the woman. There needs to be an understanding between both uh, partners in this that uh, we won't do very well without the other one in our lives. And so there needs to be this respect, there needs to be this understanding that we don't function too well without each other. And when we respect the other person like we should, then that makes the relationship a beautiful thing to behold. Whenever we lose that respect for our spouse, whenever we lose that appreciation for what they bring to the relationship, that is when we have problems in the marriage, that is when we have problems in the relationship, and that's when we need work, all right? So that's what we talked about last week. Tonight we're going to move ahead uh, to a few verses. We're going to skip over some. Uh, there's a reason for that. We've already dealt with some of what would be repeated in tonight's passage if we looked at that again. Another reason that we're skipping it is because I don't think it's of great necessity for me to preach on the length of our hair tonight. If I thought you men were wanting to grow your hair out long and take that approach to life, I, I may feel like I needed to address it, but since I think most of us men are fairly comfortable with short hair, I'll just say, keep it up, guys. All right? And ladies, unless you start shaving your heads and trying to look like men, I'm just going to say, ladies, keep it up. You look good. Don't worry about it. All right? Okay. Tonight, I want us to think about a few different words, all right, that in and of themselves have nothing in common, and yet there is a theme with these words that I want us to consider for a couple of moments. I want us to think, first of all, tonight about a heart attack, about a heart attack. 
I think if most of us were honest, I think we would say this, that we really don't know what all is happening and what all is taking place when a person experiences a heart attack. If somebody says to me, did you know that so-and-so had a heart attack, I may or may not have known it, but if they were to follow that up by saying, so do you know what a heart attack is, I would say, no, not really, but here's what I know. It's not good. I have never heard of someone having a heart attack and me saying to myself, oh, well, good, I'm happy for them. You know, I've been wanting one of those, and I just can't seem to come across one lately. Whenever you hear the words heart attack, you know that something good has not taken place. Think about this. A fight between a husband and a wife. I don't mean like a little disagreement where you thought they said this and, no, honey, I said this. I don't mean one of those. I mean a good one. We've all had at least one good one, haven't we? If we've not had at least one good one, at least one of us isn't alive. We've all had at least one good argument, fight, whatever you want to call it. And here's what we know about a fight in a marriage. It's not good. Would you agree? Okay, we've all had at least one in our marriage. Everyone who has ever been married before us and everyone who will be married after us, they'll have one at least in their marriage. But it doesn't change the fact it's not good. So now consider something else that would be completely different, completely separated from a heart attack or a good fight. Imagine someone tonight for just a moment and financially they are on the brink of bankruptcy. They are on the brink of bankruptcy. Whatever the reasons are, whatever the excuses may be, whatever the circumstances are, they are at a point where they are contemplating bankruptcy. Now hopefully you'll begin to see the common thread in what I'm talking about. If we know anything about money, if we know anything about finances, here's what we know about bankruptcy. That's not a good thing. No one ever looks at their finances and says, you know, I wish we could file bankruptcy. You know, I mean, I'd be so much better off. We'd be so much happier if we could just file bankruptcy. I mean, it's kind of like a heart attack or a good fight. No one ever looks at that and says, man, I'd like to experience that someday. No, here's what we know, whether it be of a heart attack, whether it be a good fight, or, or, or whether it be on the verge of, of, of bankruptcy. Here is what we know, that, that those just aren't good situations or predicaments to find yourself in. It's not anything that's desirable. It's not anything that's to be envied. It's not anything that, that we want to experience in our lives. And yet, here's what I want us to think about tonight. And you understand, I trust, that I could keep going with the illustrations. But here's what I want us to think about that though all these things are bad and not anything we want to experience, oddly enough, something good can come from each of those experiences. Does this make sense? 
Say for a moment someone has a heart attack and thankfully it's not a fatal one. We would say the heart attack is bad. But if it caused them to start eating right and to exercise and take better care of themselves and, and maybe stop certain habits or addictions that they've got, if that is what it finally produced, then we would say, though the heart attack was bad, something good and profitable came from that. Say a husband and a wife has a big fight, though in and of itself that is bad, it may be that one fight that finally opens their eyes to their need of some help and changing things in their marriage and in their relationship. Someone on the verge of bankruptcy, though that is a bad situation to be in, it may be that that very situation they find themselves in may be what causes them to sit down and take a serious look at their finances and say, how can I change this? What can we do different? How could we reapproach things? And, and if that would happen in a situation like that, then ultimately it would be a good thing. So we understand in life that there are many situations that are not favorable. It's not anything that we want to experience. And yet, if it is experienced by a person, it could actually result in something good and positive and beneficial and helpful. With that principle in mind, I want us to look in verse number 17. In verse number 17... Paul writes these words. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That's a very important statement. Why is that an important statement? We'll go back to verse number 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I have delivered them to you. I don't know how many of you may remember this, but several weeks ago when we came to verse number 2 in chapter 11, I said this, that it seems to be the desire of Paul to commend the believers in Corinth in whatever areas he can commend them in. Where he can be positive, where he can find something to, to encourage them in, where he can find something to say, you're doing a good job here. It seems as though that was his heart to try to do that. So when we come to verse number 17, whenever he says, now in this, that being this matter, that I declare unto you, he said, I praise you not. Here's what that means. It means this. In this particular area of your Christian life, I've got nothing positive positive to say to you. Now that's a bad position to be in, isn't it? It, it? it is, whether you understand this or not. It is not in a good position for someone like the Apostle Paul to say, now in this area of your life, I've got nothing positive to say about this. I've got nothing by which I can commend you. There is nothing that I can think of in this situation where I could absolutely say with no hesitation that you're doing a good job in this. No, Paul says in this particular area, in this particular realm, there is nothing positive that I can say to you. You are failing completely and entirely in this matter. It's pretty strong words. So notice what he said next. He said, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. So what does it mean whenever he says, when ye come together? It means when you assemble as a church family, when you assemble as a church body. So he says, when you are assembling, when you are coming together, you are not coming together for the better, 
but for the worse. So here's what Paul is saying to the believers in Corinth. He is saying that when you have come together and you have assembled yourselves now as a church in this regard, in this manner, and we'll talk about that more specifically in a moment, but he says when you come together in this area, you're not better because of your coming together. You're actually worse because of your coming together. Now again, in your spiritual life, that's not a good position to be in. It's not a good thing to have assembled as a church and left worse than when you came. You should always want to leave better when you came, not worse than when you came. So he said, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. He said, for first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. What does it mean for there to be divisions? It means this, for there to be dissension among the people. It means for there to be a schism between them or a lack of unity. So he says whenever you are assembling right now in this area, in this particular realm of your spiritual lives, here's what is happening and here's what I've heard and I'm partly believing it. I'm not struggling to believe this that there is division among you, there is dissension among you, there is this schism, there is a lack of unity. What was all that centered around? Well, in chapter 11, we understand that it's centered around this idea of what the Corinthian believers were calling the Lord's Supper. Now again, we'll deal with this at a later time, next week probably, but what you find is this, is that the Corinthian believers had taken the Lord's Supper and they had completely twisted it, they had completely perverted it, and they were doing things that should not have been done in a church at all under any circumstance. So that's the context in which this is being written in. But again, he said in verse number 17, that when you come together in the church, I hear it's been said to me that there be divisions among you. And again, he said, I partly believe it, because that's the very thing that Paul opened the letter with, was the division and the strife that was present in the church. So notice in verse number 19. In verse number 19, he said, For there must be also heresies among you. For there must be heresies among you. What does it mean when he says must be? It's got to happen. This must happen. This has to happen. This is not debatable. This is not questionable. This is not iffy. This is not really open for discussion. This must be also, or there must be also, heresies among you. Now, I don't know about you. I think I could assume for most of us what you think when you hear the word heresies. For me, I think of false teaching, false doctrine. So whenever I think of heresies, I always think, or heresy singular, I think of a false doctrine or a set of false teachings and something that should be avoided and something that should be rejected. Now, I want us to hear this, okay? This is very important. The word heresies, though it means that the majority of the time, you know what it means in this context? 
It means the same thing as divisions. So it means that in this, that even in a church body, there must also be division, there must also be dissension, and there must also be at times these schisms or these lack of unity. This is a requirement, Paul says, in a church family at times for this purpose. He said that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. That they which are approved may be made manifest among you. What does it mean for something to be approved? It means this, for it to be tested. For it to be tried and to be found acceptable or pleasing. So it is something that has been tested, something that has been tried, and it is found pleasing or acceptable. So here's what Paul said. He said, there must also be heresies or divisions or dissensions or strife among you that they which have been tested and tried and found pleasing and acceptable may be made manifest among you or made known among you. Now think about division and think about dissension. Think about schisms and think about a lack of unity. More times than not, if there is division among people, and more times than not, if there is dissension among people, at some point you're going to have some strife, and at some point you're going to have some conflict. Are you not? That's the way it's going to work. I don't care what you're talking about. If there is dissension and division and strife and a lack of unity between parties, then at some point there is going to be conflict. Now, understanding that, think about the Apostle Paul. How aware is the Apostle Paul of the importance of unity in a church? Well, he would be highly aware of the need for unity in the church, would he not? That's what he addressed again in the opening chapters. Get over your division. Those who are saying, I follow Paul, Apollo, Cephas, Christ. He said, get over that. We've been saved by Jesus Christ. He's the one that we're supposed to follow, and he's the one that we're supposed to serve. Now, now get this. If anyone understood the importance of unity in the church, the apostle Paul would have understood it. So Paul understood that when division and strife and dissension and conflict was in place, that was never a good thing for a church family. That's not what you would ever hope for a church, and what the church was experiencing in Corinth was just that. So it's not like Paul said, oh, good, finally some strife in the church. Oh, this is wonderful. Finally some dissension and some division. Oh, I'm so happy that this family is at odds with this family in the church. Paul's not there yet in his thinking, and Paul will never be there in his thinking, but Paul did express this truth. That in order to reveal who is who and who is where in their spiritual lives, guess what has to be present at times? 
there has to be some division and there has to be some dissension and there has to be some strife. It is because of that division and that dissension and that strife and that lack of unity that you are able to clearly see who is who and where they stand on biblical issues and their concern for being obedient to the things of God. Again, the believers in Corinth are completely violating what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be. They have taken it and they have ruined it. They have, they have contaminated, it, contaminated it. They're not observing it at all in any manner in which they ought. Now again, at no point is Paul saying, well, this is good. But he is saying, from a situation that is bad something positive can come from it. Because again, it reveals who is who in the church and where they stand on scriptural, biblical issues that truly matter. Now that being said... I want to explain for just a moment what I would imagine you already know, but I want to explain to you for just a moment the heart of a pastor. You know what the heart of the pastor is for the church? That men and women would dwell together in unity. Whenever I would be asked or whenever somebody may solicit my desire for the church, among other things, this would be one of the things that I would say. I want there to be a good spirit in the church. I want there to be a spirit of unity in the church. I, I want there to be, you know, a, a good camaraderie among the people. I, I want them to fellowship. I want them to enjoy each other. I, I want them to be friends away from the church and not just friends at church. I, I want this to be a family. Because that's what the pastor's heart is, because the pastor is smart enough to know unity is a good thing. But you know what must be also in our church? As much as it needs to be also in any other church? From time to time, there needs to be some division. There needs to be something that crops up by way of dissension. Something that would disrupt the unity a little bit. Now why must that happen? Not because the preacher says, oh good. But because here's what it does. As he explained in verse number 19... It makes manifest those who have been approved or tested and tried and found acceptable and pleasing on a particular Bible issue or scriptural issue or doctrinal issue, whatever you'd like to describe it as. What happens in, in, in this situation is this. Whenever the boat gets rocked a little bit, 
And the unity is maybe not as, as smooth and as obvious as it once was, though nobody enjoys that rocked boat and that lack of unity, it lets you know where people are really at in their spiritual lives, in their hunger for spiritual truth, and their willingness to abide by it no matter what the consequences may be. It's not anything that a church should ever want. But at the same time, it's not anything that should ever cause the church to be scared or nervous or anxious or uptight. Because what it does is it shakes everything out and lets you see. This person cares about truth. This one doesn't. This one cares about what the Word of God says, and this family's the real deal. And this one just likes church and religious activity. Because again, that's what you'll find in the next few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the whole Lord's Supper and what was going on in the church. So understand, in and of itself, conflict, bad. But from that, something wonderful can be produced. Now this evening, you sit here, and I understand this, that you sit here this evening, and you don't exactly have the same heart of a pastor, and you simply can't because you're not a pastor. So you may sit here and say, well, Brother Kyle, I understand what you're saying, but I, I mean, it's just that's really not my concern all the time. It's not what's on my mind all the time. So let me ask us this. Maybe this has never happened to you, but just consider this. Have you ever had division or dissension or strife or conflict in your realm of work? Has it ever happened? See, there's a bigger principle here. Sometimes it happens that there are things going on in a work environment. There are things brewing in a work environment. And, and a boss and a supervisor, a manager, anybody with a brain really would never desire for there to be a disruption in the morale at work. But sometimes it happens. Sometimes there's conflict in our family, isn't there? Apparently, we don't have the same family because you're just looking at me like, no, uh-uh. Sometimes there's conflict in the family, isn't there? And I'm not talking about just our spouse. I mean, sometimes it could be with our kids. Sometimes it could be with our parents. It could still be with a sibling. It could be with anyone in the family. And so sometimes there's just conflict. There's a sense of uneasiness maybe when the family gets together. And you're just kind of looking at this going, man, I wonder when it's all going to blow up. I wonder when it's all going to come to a head. Because you know at some point it's going to come to a head. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like conflict in my family. It's not enjoyable. I, I've never said to Susie, you know, maybe this holiday will be the one that we all get mad at each other. You know, maybe, just maybe, if we're lucky, by the time Thanksgiving's over, nobody will talk to each other until Christmas. I, I hate conflict like that. Have you ever had conflict with a friend? Most of us have. 
Some kind of an issue arises. Something comes up and, and you know that now there is some division between you and this person. There is some dissension between you and this person. The unity is not there. Now again, here's what I want to stress and here's what I want to emphasize to make sure that you don't think I'm nutty on this. Conflict is never good. I get it. I understand it. Conflict is never enjoyable. And for the people who enjoy conflict, there is something wrong with them mentally and spiritually. There is nothing, again, enjoyable with conflict. But I want us to be reminded tonight of a very important principle. That sometimes conflict is required. So that it can be made manifest. So that it can be made known where everyone stands on a particular issue. You don't want the big fight to take place at work. I get it. But sometimes you need to know, okay, who is for real and who is all talk and just saying things to my face that they think I want to hear, but behind my back they're saying other things to other people. It's not fun to go through that, but it sure is nice when it's finally laid out on the table, is it not, to know where people are really at on a situation? It's not enjoyable to have that conflict with the family. But it does help a little bit, if we're honest, to finally know what people are really thinking, really saying, and how they really feel. It's nice for that to be revealed. When there's that conflict with the friend, when there's that conflict with any other person, Though it may put our stomach in knots, though it may make us miserable, though it may make us worry, whatever it may be, though as intense as it is, it actually serves a purpose that in the end is helpful because it reveals who and what we're dealing with. I want to encourage us tonight to not ever get used to the conflict, but to remind us that when conflict happens, we don't need to be scared of it. We don't need to avoid it. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to try to play the nice person and, and act like everything's okay and lie about it if in our hearts and minds we're stewing and we're upset and we're, we're bothered by something. If the conflict needs to happen, then the conflict needs to happen. It's okay because Paul said, even in a church setting, this has to happen to make manifest those who are approved. But there's one other thing that I'd like us to consider, and then we're almost done, all right? And that is this. Whenever the conflict and the dissension and the division is present, when it all finally comes out, 
and you know where this person stands, and you know who this person is, and you know what they've really been saying, what this person's really been doing, when everyone's true feelings and heart and character has been revealed, we need to remember that we too are revealed in that setting. Does this make sense? See, I think sometimes, sometimes here's what happens. We look at everyone else and we say, okay, well, they're the real deal. Okay, they're the real deal. Okay, yeah, they're fake. They're false. They're phony. Yeah, they're a hypocrite. You can't trust them, whatever it may be. And, and that conflict, though it is revealing much about that person, we need to remember this, that it is also revealing much about us as an individual as it relates to the division and the dissension and the strife. See, when dissension takes place in a church, whatever the issue may be, the Lord's Supper or, or what color the carpet's going to be or what we're going to paint the walls, whatever it may be, whenever that kind of dissension takes place in a church and sometimes it is silly stuff that brings about the dissension, not only does it say everything about those people, it says everything about us. Where are we going to stand on the issues? Is the Word of God my number one concern? Is scriptural truth my number one concern? Is being right with God my number one concern? Or am I more concerned with things that aren't biblical, scriptural, or, or theologically correct? What am I most worried about? We've got to remember it says everything about us as well in this time of conflict. How you handle conflict at work. How you handle conflict in the family. How you handle the conflict with your friends. Anybody else. It does not just reveal their character, it reveals ours as well. And so tonight, to summarize it, to try to put it in a nutshell where maybe we can remember this in the days and weeks to come, Paul said, believers, in this area, I've got nothing that I can praise you for. There is nothing here that you're doing that I can commend you on. In this area, you are absolutely failing. When you come together, you leave worse than you came. You certainly don't leave any better. There is division among you. There is strife. There is dissension. There is discord. And, and I don't have a hard time believing it because Paul knew who they were and the struggles they were having. And so he said again in verse number 19, but this is true. That there must be heresies, there must be divisions, there must be that strife among you, so that those who are approved, tested, tried, and found pleasing and acceptable, it is necessary so that you know it is made known who is the real deal and who is the fake and who is the phony. Just want to say to us again tonight don't let conflict scare you, it's not fun but it lets us know what we're dealing with. And in the end, that's okay. And in the end, it can produce something that is helpful and beneficial. Okay? All right. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to see the wisdom in what the Apostle Paul said. God, I pray that we would not just kind of reject this and ignore it because it's not something we're comfortable with. I pray, God, that you'd help us to just be mindful of the fact that sometimes it has to happen. Sometimes the conflict cannot be avoided. And though we hate the idea of it, though we hate the process of it, would you help us tonight that it's actually beneficial at times and something good can be produced by it. And I pray that you'd help us tonight that whenever it reveals our character, that you would help us to be those who have been approved and found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.